Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We're excited you're here, and we hope today's message encourages you, builds your faith, and brings you hope for the future. May God bless you as you listen in to today's message. I'm excited about the speaker that we have coming. And uh, when I uh, went to North Central Bible College, uh, I'm going to ask him this question when he comes up here because I'm kind of curious about why he did. When I got saved, I immediately came out of the world, and three months later, I went to a Bible school. And you have to understand, guys, when I got saved, I didn't know really who Jesus was. I'm not kidding you when I tell you that. And Bob will tell you that when I ask him this question. I didn't know Jesus, and for that matter, I didn't know any of the disciples. I didn't know any of the Gospels. I didn't know any of the Bible. I didn't have a Bible. Uh, all these things, and I got saved out of my drug addiction, alcohol problem, and all what I went through, and three months later, went on to Bible school, and when I went to Bible school, I was lost. I was a kid that was pulled out of the ghetto or the wrong side of the tracks and went to a Bible school that was prim and proper. If you ask my sister-in-law, she will tell you, I didn't know how to be a man or be a gentleman or even be kosher. I am being honest with you. Back in the day, the way you would greet ladies is you would smack them in the rear end. And I thought that was kosher. That's what they did in my culture. And so I did that, and her sister nailed me. Bam! You do that again, I'll knock you out even more. But I I was lost when I went to Bible school. I would be in classes, and I kid you not, and they're talking about Moses or whoever else. And I'm like, who is this guy? I don't know anything about it. But I had a mentor. And I'm going to ask this mentor to come. His name is Bob McKay. He's a missionary from the former Soviet Union. And, Bob, I'm going to have you come. I have a separate mark for you. This is my mentor. And, Bob, I have never asked you this question. I don't know, Pat. I'm telling you. <laughs> Whatever. Bob, I want to ask you a question. You didn't know me from Adam. Here I was. Long hair when I got there, shaggy, you know how I was. Talking like this, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah talking like that, exactly. <laughs> Bob, can I ask you a question? What inspired you to take me under your wing? I don't understand that. Well, I guess, you know, you got to think about that, but I, I saw in, in CJ, I saw something. I saw the, uh, I saw just the love for Jesus and a hunger for the Lord. I think that's what I saw most of all. And, and in Cheryl and now you guys over 40 years, man, you proved it. They paid the price. They've, they've shown they've got the character. So that's what I want to encourage all you to do. Look for, the, look for the greatness or the divine spark that you may see in somebody. And at the very least, we can touch people. We can love people, even if, even if we're off sometimes. But there was something special there that I, f- I felt that God wanted me to help invest part of my life in. And that's what we're all about, you know discipleship. Remember Jesus said to Nathaniel, here's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. He looked and saw, hey man, here's a guy who's got a pure heart. Here's a guy who really loves the Lord. So I want to say to all of you, CJ's an example of my leadership. (laughs) I do that with a guy over in Georgia. We call the Billy Graham of Georgia. I'm going to show his picture. They don't want to hear me anymore. They want to hear him and I get up at the end. He's an example of my leadership. (laughs) But it's really what the Lord has done in his life. And so I'm glad you got saved, Ben. I'm glad the Lord saved. Aren't you glad he got saved? Aren't you glad he got saved? Yeah, man. You're the man. All right. Well, this is Bob McKay, my mentor. Take it over. 
Well, it's great to be with you. Some of you have seen me before in Siren and other places, uh, so it's great to be back. I was on the mission field for over six years and came back uh, in September last year. I'm, I'm hoping to go back in October. I'm trying to get permission from the government of Georgia to let me back in. I'm in the country of Georgia. If you guys want to put the map up there, how many of you know where Georgia is? Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, right? Just an old sweet song. No, this isn't that Georgia. This isn't Atlanta, Georgia. This is the Republic of Georgia, which borders Russia, Turkey, Azerbaijan, and Armenia. Not exactly the same thing. And so, uh, if we have there, yeah, there it is. See, I live over. I live closer to Russia. Russia is above us. These are all Muslim republics above us. Chechnya. And all these guys, I live by the Chechens. Really, these people, they grow real cool beards, you know. But they're, sometimes they're kind of violent and they like to shoot at you. And so uh, some of you may know I grew up in Hurley, Wisconsin, Ironwood, Michigan, where everybody goes deer hunting. So when they said, be, be afraid of the Chechens when they shoot at you, I said, how far away are they? They said, oh, probably two to three miles. And I said, I ain't going to hit anything. I said, I grew up in a place called Ironwood, Michigan, where they all go deer hunting with their high-powered rifle scopes and tripods, and they can't even shoot the blue lights from here with their rifles. So <laughs> what am I worried about the Russians for? So, but I think that's something that we always, we always need to be aware of. We need to look at people and see Jesus in people. That's what Mother Teresa said, remember? We have to look, we look for the divine spark, and at the very least, we look for something where we can talk to people and minister to people about, you know, so there's always a, a place in America, people are wide open, in my opinion. When you get a chance to love people and talk to people, you can talk about anything. Some of you, I was talking about food before. We were talking about uh, going down the river or talking about anything. It doesn't matter. There are common points. But it's great to be with you, to be back home after six years. Uh, church asked me, well, what are the things that you're hearing now that you've been home after all these years away and I have to say in the churches, a couple of the things I hear that maybe aren't that great are uh, one of them is they're always talking about how God loves everybody and we can never get God mad and he's never upset about anything we do and you can do anything you want and, and no, God's, we're all going to go to a better place when we die. You know, have you heard that a lot? I, I mean, I've had it up to here with that one because I preached last week in another church. I said... In God, John's gospel, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So what does that mean? If you don't keep his commandments, that you don't love him? Well, you figure that one out. And so we need to be lovers of Jesus and have a heart after Jesus. See, your pastor, that's what I saw in him. He had a heart after Jesus. How about you? Do you have a heart after Jesus? See, amen. So I've been in education now almost my whole, I, I spent nine years at Jesus People Church, Cedar Ridge Church, Minnesota. Some of you remember that one? Some of you were actually there. Yeah, you remember that. What a great church. And then I spent seven years at North Central Bible College as a professor, but I've been doing this missions thing for over 25 years now, really. I don't look as old as I am, but I'm much older than your pastor and his wife. Much, much older. But God's taken care of me. But in all the Bible schools we started, we started a seminary, we started eight national Bible colleges, and now we have several hundred Bible colleges in the former Soviet Union. But a teacher told me, he said, Bob, when you start a Bible school, always look for three things, what I call the three C's. He said, the first thing you want to look for in a man or woman is character. Do they have Christian character? Do they love Jesus? Are they a person of integrity? And then secondly, do they have the call of God in their life? 
Because if you have the character and the call of God in your life, then you can make it. You know, a lot of people get discouraged and quit. And then the third thing, the competency, he said that's the stuff we train them how to do, what to do. But those other two things got to come first. We need the character. We need to become more like Jesus Christ every day. So when you hear, I'm going to a better place, well, is Jesus going to be there? Because if he's not going to be there, then it's not a better place, right? Heaven is just a place. It's a wonderful place, of course. But what would heaven be if Jesus wasn't there? Think about what Jesus said when he, was, when he mentioned about going after he left. What did he say? Did he say, I'm going to heaven? I'm going to a better place. I'm going to leave you here. I'm going to a better place. He never said that. He said, I'm going to go be with the Father. His will was to do what the Father told him to do, to obey the Father. When Paul talked about going to heaven, did he ever say, I'm going to go to heaven? He never said that. He said, I'm going to be with Christ. To depart and be with Christ, which is much better. To live as Christ and to die as gain. So what is the goal of the Christian life? I asked this in a church. How many of you know what the goal of the Christian life is? What is it? Usually people holler out, to make it to heaven! I said, no, 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 negative, not to make it to heaven. The goal of the Christian life is to come to know Jesus Christ in his fullness. That's the goal. And how do we get there? We get there by Romans 8.29. We get there by becoming more like Jesus, by being conformed to the image of his son, by letting the Holy Spirit conform us to what Jesus is, to be like Jesus. So when, we, when we're looking for the greatness, or the, the, when we're looking for God in people, and we're looking for a chance to share because we love them, that's what Jesus would do. He was our example. He set the example for us. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about that. But first, I just want to give you a brief report. You see Georgia. I went to Georgia in the year 2008 after 10 years in Ukraine. They didn't need me anymore. One of the things that I'm happy to have done is I got women involved in the ministry in Ukraine. When I went there, they said, no women. Women are useless, except for taking care of the house and bearing children. Other than that, they got no place in the church. And so I deliberately went out then. I spent a month and I looked for the five best women in the former Soviet Union. <laughs> they told me, don't invite women to this seminary. So I deliberately went out. Well, I'm from Ironwood, Michigan, Wisconsin. What are you going to do? You're going to do the opposite, right? And I brought these five women in. We trained them and they became, I introduced them as the five Joyce Myers of the former Soviet Union. <laughs> See, you're partly to blame why those five women did what they did. You supported me and you prayed for me. You were my partner. So you're, it's your fault. Your fault for that. You know that. So one of them took my place because she was more qualified than I was to be the academic dean. And then I went to Georgia, which was a third world country. It was devastated. There were no missionaries there anymore. They had two churches, incredibly persecuted. And uh, it was just a, not a good place to go. People said, don't. And I said, man, that's the place I want to go. Yeah, how terrible is it? Keep talking to me, you know. The more things you say bad about it, they said, you're moving to Tbilisi, Georgia. There's 200,000 street people living there because of the inv Russian invasion. They had two civil wars before that. They had two churches in the country that were both underground because they were so persecuted. Today we have over 140 churches. So praise the Lord for that. Yeah. And you are also to blame for that. Don't think you're getting off the hook for that one. You're to blame because, you know, because I'm there, I have the opportunity to share and, uh, and go out with the, the men that I work with and the women that I work with. But we have so many more to reach. We have uh, only about 3% of the population is Christian. So we are discipling people. We are starting church-based education centers all over the country of Georgia. There's the map. It's still there. We just, uh, we've started these like the City Poti in the Black Sea. We just did one. And we did one 
I'm looking for another city out here. Talavi, we did one. Rustavi. Some of these, they're big cities that have never really had the gospel. We have hundreds and hundreds of places where they never heard the name of Jesus. And so this is what we need to do. And fortunately, like in Ukraine and in Georgia, in the former Soviet Union, these two countries are the most open and we have the most people. Because we've discipled people, we now have qualified teachers and pastors and church planners and missionaries that we can send out. So we're believing for a great move of God. And here now, Georgia, this little country bordering Turkey and Russia, we've had people pouring into it. It's become a place of freedom in our part of the world. We had 300,000 Turks come. We have uh, 500,000 people from Azerbaijan. They're Muslims, and we can reach them. We had 300,000 Iranians come in the last three years. And these Iranian Christians are something, man. They are, if you get to meet them, that's where the greatest revival in the world is happening right now. I don't know if you heard about that in Iran. When I was in Ukraine, we had 17 Muslim graduates from the, that became Christians that came to the seminary, got a master's degree. All 17 of them were saved by visions and dreams. Have you heard of that before? There was no church. There was no gospel, right? No Bibles. When I came to Russia, like we said, people, Pastor C.J. didn't have a Bible when he came to Bible college. That seems kind of funny, doesn't it? Well, somebody gave him one or he bought one. I don't remember what it was, but there were some there. But when I came to Russia and Ukraine, there were pastors who had been pastored for 20 years that didn't have a Bible. You know what? Nikita Khrushchev, who followed Stalin, who was Georgian, by the way, he said, if you want to go to a Bible, he said, if you want to see a Bible, you'll have to go to a museum to find one. He said, if you want, he said, I'm going to take a picture of myself with the last Christian in the Soviet Union. Well, Khrushchev is dead and gone now. He's with his Lord. I don't know who his Lord was, but I have an idea, unfortunately. But he's, did, he would not know that today there are over 100 million Russian Bibles available for people to read. Russian Bibles are as common as eyeglasses. And that's because people have prayed and have given, and we've, we've given out Bibles. The church in Ukraine, when I came, was the largest church by far over there. They had 300 churches. Now they have about 3,500 churches. Russia had about 100 churches, full gospel churches. We have over 4,000 churches in Russia now. So, praise the Lord. Why is that? Because Bob McKay is such a great missionary. No, you know why that happens? Because, as Pastor C.J. prayed, because Jesus' church will be built, because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, because this gospel will be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. That's why, because Jesus wants to save people and heal people. He wants to restore people. He wants to raise people up. That's why these things are happening. All as we have to do is be available, hear the voice of God, and obey him. How many of you know that? When they asked me, what do you do as a missionary? It must be very difficult. I said, yes, terribly difficult. I said, you have to hear God's voice and you have to obey him. That's it. That's all you got to do. Do what God tells you to do. So God is doing great things. We have a great future in Georgia. There's a great future in America too. But as Pastor CJ said, it's not time to quit. It's time to go forward. It's not time to go back. It's time to go on. I, I don't get discouraged by these. When I hear how terrible things are, I said, hey, great, man. I got to go there. Maybe I can make a difference. I don't want to go somewhere where the glory spot is and everything's going great. They don't need me there, and I'm probably going to wreck the place, you know. I'm going to bring them down, send me somewhere where it's broke, and then we can fix it. God can use us. And so now we are discipling people, these church-based Bible colleges. We want to start about 30 to 40 of them to raise up church planners and missionaries. This is what we need. So my goal is to make disciples. I have one more picture. I messed up on the pictures, but I'll, I want to show you the guy. This is the guy I work with and his family. 
His name is Konstantin Gerizevich Zebisashvili. If you're writing that down, you spell it just like it sounds. I was in Wausau, Wisconsin, and I took him there, and they went crazy for him. And the guy in the hotel said, how do you spell his name? And I said, just like it sounds, you know. I said, we call him Kote, though, K-O-T-E. He's the Billy Graham of Georgia now. He's my Peter. I have three guys I spend every day of my life with when I'm overseas. I call them every day. We pray every day. Man, when I left, I cried like a baby because it was like leaving my kids behind. When I go with him, everybody in, in America, too, they go crazy. I mean, I've had him in some really in, incredible places. And when they look at me, they go, who are you? I said, I'm just a guy that drives a Winnebago trailer, the one with the brown W on the side. Remember the Winnebagos? Because, you know, for now it's been 10 years. I, with him and his brother, and there's another guy named Johnny, these three men I spend every day of my life with, and I get criticized like you wouldn't believe. People say, why don't you go preach to a couple hundred people over here? They'll listen to you. I said, we, can, we don't have a church there. We can't support a church. I said, plus somebody somewhere said something about making disciples of all people. What was that guy's name? Remember that guy? Anybody remember that guy? We celebrate his birthday on December 25th. What's the name of that guy? Anybody, you know, who, what's that guy's name? Oh, yeah, Jesus. He said, make disciples of all nations. So I have these three guys. They were hoodlums. They were like you. They were drug addicts, drunks. They'd beat up girls on the street and steal, pull their hair and steal their cell phones and break into people's homes and tear up their floors so they could burn it in their fireplace. One of them got, accidentally went to a Pentecostal church and got saved. The other two guys went to rescue him. And they, of course, they came to the Lord too. And they, within six months, they were discipled, and the church said, you need to go plant churches. And all three of these guys, they planted th all three churches each before they were 20 years old, the same year, the first year they were saved. And so these guys, now I'm trying to get back into Georgia. They said it's impossible, but the government loves us. You know, the, the, the politicians love us. The Orthodox Church, we've made friends with them. These three men in particular, because of them, I can do anything in Georgia. We have complete freedom to do anything we want in this former Soviet country. So you wonder, is it worth it? Three guys, they're going to do 100 times more than I could ever do. But what does America need to do? What do we need in America? We've already prayed. I want to encourage you from the word because I think it's very simple what we need. What we need are true followers of Jesus Christ. And so this COVID virus is going to show us who the true followers of Jesus Christ are, isn't it? It's going to show us who are serious. And our testimony to the world, if we're not serious about the Lord, what does that say to the world? You know, oh, no, going to church is just like going to the Elks Club or going to the VFW for fish fry on Friday night. Do you still do that here? It's something like that. Well, if your church is so important, how come it's not a big deal to you? You know, I can watch something on TV or I can watch online. I mean, some people have to watch online. And we're appreciative for those of you who are watching online. But if you can come to church and you can fellowship and you have the opportunity to do so, then you're not at risk, then we need to be the church. And we need to set a testimony to the world that we believe in a supernatural God who loves us and cares about us. And we love each other and we care about each other. It's not just something else to do that... It's not that important. We don't want to send that testimony. And so what we need to do then is we need to follow the example of Jesus Christ. And what was that example? In Philippians chapter 2, just a couple of verses here, Paul says, but this should be the same attitude. This should be your attitude, the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. So what did Jesus model for us? He modeled many things for us. 
like we were talking about earlier, to see the greatness in people, to see the divine spark, to see what God wants us to share with people. See, the Iranians, they come to Georgia, and they believe they should share their faith every day, that every day God brings somebody our way to share, to share with, to pray with. Pray for healing. Pray for salvation. Man, these guys, I could tell you stories about them. Unbelievable stories that, you know, I just, I just shake my head. We all shake our head like, wow, that really happens. But it does happen. And God wants, us to, wants it to happen here, and he wants to use you. Your adventure church, right? You want to go on an adventure, don't you? Yeah, I remember a, a missionary named Praying Hyde. Have you ever heard of him? Praying Hyde, he went to India. And the guy, he was kind of an intellectual, his intellectual stuff didn't accomplish anything in India. And he started to pray. He said, I'm, I got nothing else to do. I'm powerless. I'm useless. I'm worthless. And I said, oh, hallelujah, now God can use you. That's when you, God can use you, when you come to that place where you think I'm useless, I'm powerless. All I can do is cry out to God and ask him to help me. So he prayed, and like 30,000 people came to Christ in India. He started, like, I don't know what it was, several hundred churches. When he died and they had the funeral, they got up and they said, we're here to honor, and they didn't know what his name was, Praying Hyde. Everybody knew him as Praying Hyde. They said it to his wife, what was his first name? She said, John. Okay, we're here to honor John Hyde. Nobody knew what his name was because he prayed all the time. That's not such a bad thing to happen, is it? So Jesus, the three things he did, he humbled himself. It says here, he humbled himself and he became obedient. Secondly, and third, he made the sacrifice. He sacrificed himself. So the first act of the Christian life is to humble ourselves, to realize that when we are separate from Christ, we're nothing. We have nothing until we come to Jesus Christ. I was nothing until I came to Jesus. I was an idiot student from Ironwood, Michigan, Hurley, Wisconsin. I graduated as the fourth from the bottom of my class in high school. I had a 0.9 grade point average when I graduated. That's not good. When I graduated from the high school I went to and the church I was a part of, it wasn't Assembly of God. I'm not going to tell you what church that was because that's not important. But the nuns and the priests in that church... I didn't tell you what church it was. They had no use for me, and for good reason. Two of the nuns, one of them said to me, she said, Bob, you're worthless, you're useless, you're never going to do anything with your life. And then the other one said, you know, you're, you're, you're no good, you might as well join the military, you, you won't accomplish anything, you'll be a total failure. They were both trying to encourage me, you know. So they encouraged me to join the military. But, you know, one of them I still send newsletters to, she's working in a Catholic university in, uh, in the Manitowoc area, Sister Rita Rose, and she says, she writes back, she writes me, she says, I love your newsletters. I always knew that you were going to accomplish something in life. <laughs> don't you love people in the church? You know, people can be real encouragements in the church. You, know, you don't let people discourage you when God tells you to do something. But we humble ourselves, which means we need to come to Christ, that we have nothing in and of ourselves to offer anyone. It's when Jesus comes into our life, when he changes us, when the Holy Spirit comes into our life. Now we have something to share. And so we all have to come to that place where we say, I need Jesus Christ in my life. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. And Jesus, he needed the Holy Spirit as well. He wanted to obey the Father. He humbled himself. These are the things that I remember on the mission field. I don't remember the people, the great comments people make about me or something like that, or some award or some ribbon you can put on the wall or some colored paper you can hang somewhere. No, that's not it. What I remember are the people of humility that have given their lives to Jesus Christ that have nothing. They have no material possessions. All as they have is a loving relationship with Jesus. Then they change the world that they're in. They don't complain about what they don't have. They work with what they do have. What do you think? Can we do that? 
Yeah, but I played Powerball last night. How many of you played Powerball last night? Let me see your hand. Man, you guys are good. You didn't go for the bait. You know, but some people said, hey, if I played Powerball, I remember one guy in the church said, if I won Powerball, I'd buy the church a new van. I'd even tithe on the Powerball money, you know. I said, well, that's mighty white of you, you know. And he says, but I said, you know, God doesn't ask us to play the Powerball and win the Powerball. God asks us to do what we have with what's in our hands. That's it. That's part of humility. Lord, use me in what I have, whatever giftedness I have. Some of you have many gifts. Some of you have a few, but we all have gifts. And we need to be obedient to the Lord. And then we need to be obedient. See, a lot of people in the church today, I grew up in a church. I have a lot of great friends from there. But when I grew up, a lot of the people were admirers of Jesus. I'm afraid we have the same in the evangelical church. May I say even in the Pentecostal churches, we have many admirers of Jesus. Not in this church, of course, you know, not, not, not here. But we have many admirers of Jesus, but Jesus doesn't want admirers. He wants followers. He wants disciples. He doesn't want admirers. We need to be followers of Jesus Christ. So this COVID thing is really going to test to see who is a true follower of Jesus Christ. Do we love him? Do we do what he says? Are we being conformed to his image? Are we sharing the gospel with people? Are we making disciples of all nations? See, this, the way we're going to change America is one person at a time, just like the early church did. They didn't fight the political system. How many of you know that? They didn't preach against the political system. They went out and shared Jesus with their neighbors, and the whole world was turned upside down by these people. Because when people see a real Christian, they have to, they have to deal with it. Like when Jesus preached... Jesus, when he preached, he didn't preach to make people feel good. He preached to make people, he brought them to the Y in a road. Okay, this is the way to the kingdom of God. This is what you have to do. Repent and follow this road. Or you can go this way. You can reject the kingdom of God. You can build your house on the sand and see what happens later on. See, we, get, we really do a disservice to the gospel when we preach other things. Which, unfortunately, when people ask me, why is it different where you are than here? I said, because in America, in my opinion, I'm being generalizing now. But for the most part, for the last 25 to 30 years in American churches, we have not preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have preached the gospel of our own creation that's designed to serve ourselves and make us feel better and is to keep things upon ourselves. It's not the gospel of Jesus that said to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, forsake your family, go into all the world, fear God, humble yourself. I mean, I turn on Christian TV. I don't hear those things. Do you hear those things? Somebody said, oh, Bob, you're just unlucky. You turn on Christian TV at the wrong time. I said, but why is it every time I turn it on, I never hear that? See, so what we need to do is we need to start living, preaching and living the gospel of Jesus Christ again. If we want America to be changed, we're not going to change America with a self-serving gospel that's all consumer-based, consumer-oriented, that's just designed to bless us. That's not going to change anything because that's not the gospel of Christ. And so we humble ourselves and we obey God. See, I want to encourage you today. You know, I've been in, I've seen revivals in four different countries. And so I've seen what God can do. I remember the first revival in Romania where the population, the Christian population was 1% to 2%. Now Romania today has, a, has an evangelical population of 20%. That's the largest in the, on the European continent. Five million people. Then it happened from these simple people who were praying and believing God was going to change their country and that God would call them to do simple things and crazy things sometimes, and they would do it. So I want to encourage you. We've been taught in this country that we need to have great faith. Man, you've got to have the faith. Woo! I need the anointing. Woo! How many of you have the anointing? Okay, you can't just raise your hand. You have to say, woo, with it. Come on, come on, say it. Woo! 
Yeah, you have the anointing. You know, anybody who is a Christian has the anointing. How many of you know that? Because the anointing, if we look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the anointing means that God has chosen you, he's called you, he has a task for you to, jo- for you to do, a job for you to do, he's commissioned you, his approval is upon you, and therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. And do we know it's not just, I said, some of you people talk like anointing. I said, you're try, I'm trying to define your anointing deal. I told one pastor, I said, your definition of anointing is like trying to nail a square of jello to the kitchen wall. You ever try to nail jello to the wall? It doesn't work very well. But anointing is a very simple thing. We have the anointing. We humble ourselves, and then we become obedient to the Lord. When we hear the voice of God, how many of you know the voice of the Lord? Okay, some of you need to hear the voice of the Lord, right? You better get on it. This is it. This is your task for today and this week. If you don't know the voice of the Lord, find out what it sounds like. Somebody said, what does it sound like? I said, it sounds like the voice of the Lord. They said, like what? I said, I said, all of you had mothers. You had parents, right? Or you had somebody who raised you. How did you know her voice? Because it was your mom's voice, right? It had a distinct sound, you know. Just from being with her and hearing her, you knew what it was. I remember, guys, when I was in a church in another state, and, and the Lord just came upon me. I started laying hands on people, and people were going down. And these two guys came forward. They said, can we follow you around? I said, yeah, but I don't want you catching people. If you follow me around, I'm going to make you pray for somebody. And, I, and the Lord told me, this lady here, she's got a lower back problem, and I already healed her, so you don't have to pray for her. So I come by her, and she's crying. I said, Lord, already healed you, right? Yeah. I said, God said you had a lower back problem, and he already healed you. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to the next person. Oh, please pray for me anyway. No, i got other people to pray for. Then these two guys said, how did you know it was God? And I said, he told me. And they said, what did he say? I said, he said she had a lower back problem, and I healed her. You know, everybody's laughing. You mean just like that? I said, yeah, just like that. That's how God talks to us. Does God talk to you that way? And he speaks to us in our spirit. He speaks to us. I'm not saying the clouds open and an audible voice comes. But we come to know the voice of the Lord and we obey him. I have to quit. I'm going to tell you one more story. Is that okay? You don't mind me telling you stories, do you? You know, a lot of times when I tell stories, you know what? Most of my stories are about, they're never about what I've done because it's what God does. I can't do anything because somebody said to me, tell me three things you've never done. I said, well, I never saved anybody. I've never healed anybody. And I've never baptized anybody in the Holy Spirit. I said, but I know the one who has and I've seen him do a lot of stuff. Have you seen God do some stuff? you seen him do some things? Yeah, I've seen him do some things. Yeah. I've seen whole villages come to Christ many, many times the first time they hear the gospel. Now, that's quite, a, quite an incredible thing to experience. I wish you could have that experience where they heard the gospel for the first time and they responded. But I want to tell you that most of the time when you serve the Lord, at least my experience, mine may not be normal. I'm not a normal person. Of course not. I come from the UP. I can't be normal, right? How could I possibly be normal? But my experience is most of the time when I've seen great moves of God, it's because of God's faithfulness and because of his power and his glory, not because of my faith. What do you think about that? I believe that obedience brings faith, not the other way around. Faith does not bring obedience. Obedience brings faith. Does that make sense to you? Those of you who give, who give faithfully, how many of you believe in tithing or giving faithfully to the church? Okay. Those of you who raised your hand, how many of you believe God's always going to take care of you? Why do you believe that? Is it because you have such great faith? You can leap over a tall building in a single bound. You can run faster than a speeding locomotive. Is that why? No, you believe that because you've been faithful to God and God's always come through for you, right? And you probably believe today and now more than ever any time in your life that God's always going to take care of me. 
We, you just read the verse. He's not going to let us begging, begging for bread. God's going to take care of me. Why? Because I've been faithful in God. He's always faithful. That's where the faith comes from. So I want to encourage you, and I have a story to tell you because I think there are some important elements in there. Somebody asked me once, just on the road, I was with a friend of ours, Kim Buckman, in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. That's the first church I went to when I came home. And somebody said, hey, Brother Bob, we heard you were called a man of faith in one of those countries. I said, that's true. They said, like George Mueller, the guy who prayed in the orphan thing, all the money, the food would come every day to the orphanage. I said, no, 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 not like George Mueller. I said, it's a different story. And so what had happened was, this is a story about obedience because we were trying to reach a certain area that was totally shut off to the gospel. There were no Christians, no churches. They hated God. They were atheists, former communists. And we read about this one town. It was, a, well, really a city, a city of about 3,000 people. They said, do not come here. If you come here, any religious people who come here, we will beat you to a pulp and smash your car and send you out. And they did it to the couple of people that did. So as I'm sitting with the Pentecostal pastors, I said, hey, what about this city? We're going to cross this one off the map, right? We're not going to go there, are we? <laughs> they said, no, 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 we're not going to go there. And out of the room comes eight women who were intercessors. Over there in, in Eastern Europe, intercessory prayer is a huge gift in the church. How many of you believe in intercessory prayer? See, they prayed, and when they pray and God talks to them, you listen, you know. What's that commercial? What's it? Oh, yeah, when they call, yeah, you listen, you know. When these ladies said something, you did it. So this, the oldest lady comes out and said, the Lord just gave us a vision. We prayed in this city that you're reading about. Uh, he said that you're supposed to go there for the next eight weekends and preach the gospel. And I was laughing. I said, ah, good one. That's a good joke. <laughs> but the other guys aren't laughing. The pastor, one of them said, don't laugh at my wife, Brother Bob. She's, they're always right. <laughs> they're always right when they hear from God. When they hear from God, it's always true. I said, we're going to go there? He goes, yeah, we're going to go there, man. We have to go there. God wants us to go there. And so we said, how do we get in there? We had an invitation from the mayor, who I thought was the devil incarnate, you know. This guy was a real creep, you know. And so we go there, and they met us. The police met us. The, the, the people from the town met us. The mayor and the city council met us. And, they, and I said, hi, I'm Bob McKay. Well, yeah, we know who you are. And they said, we hate you. You stink, you know. We, you people are vile. You're disgusting. We think you're trash. They were just trying to encourage us again. They said, you're never going to have a church here. Nobody's going to rent to you. Nobody's going to sell to you. Remember that, too, when you guys buy a building here. Remember that God is the one in charge, not Siren or the Siren City Council or the town council. Remember that. Don't forget about that. And so they said, nobody's ever going to do anything for you. You can come. We don't want you to preach. You can sing. you got good musicians, we heard. Music is very important, right? So they came. They sang. I said, I'm not preaching, but I'm going to read something to you. And basically, I preached to them for half an hour for you. And every week, people got saved. Every week and every time we came into the village, people would curse us. They'd throw stuff at us. They'd throw rotten fruit. They'd throw rocks at us. You know, and of course, me being older now, I'm smarter than I used to be. When they were throwing the rocks from over there, I moved over here, you know. I told the young guys, you guys walk over there between me and the rock guys. And one of the young guys said, Brother Bob, they're hitting us with the rocks. I said, they're not throwing the rocks at you. They're throwing them at Jesus. And he says, then how come it hurts when I get hit with the rocks? And I said, because they're throwing them at Jesus, but you're getting in the way. And they said, that's not funny. You're not getting hit with the rocks, you know. <laughs> and so we preached. We came in the eighth week, and they all met us. And they said, and this is the last week you're going to be here. And the mayor would scold us every week. And the police escorted us back and forth the last week. And I was so discouraged that day. I was tired. 
I was overworked. I was depressed. I hadn't taken any break. How many of you know the devil attacks you when you're tired? When you're down, when you're tired, man, and I was tired, and I came in, man, and the devil, he started beating on my head, and I was letting him do it. Don't let him do it. When he starts beating on you, tell him to get lost, right? And so, but I was in the middle of the road, and I was crying like a baby. Uh, and I had three pastors with me. I said, oh, you heard what they said. They're never going to rent to us. They're never going to give us a building. They're never going to sell anything to us. Uh, we're never going to have a church in this city. Uh, all these people got saved. Oh, man. Then the brothers said, come on, Brother Bob, don't be that way. God's going to come through for us. And so we did our meeting. More people got saved, and we're on the way out. Man, I had my head down. I had a hang dog. You know, I'm going. I had my tail between my legs. And the mayor says, come here, you guys. I want to talk to you. Oh, boy, just what I need on the way out. This guy I thought was the devil incarnate. You know, one thing I learned, people are not our enemy. How many of you know that? CNN is not your enemy. Fox is not your enemy. Biden's not your enemy. Trump's not your enemy. The church next door is not your enemy. No, but we only have one enemy. His name is the devil. People need Jesus. America needs Jesus. Stop making enemies out of people. We don't have any enemies. They may consider us an enemy, but I don't have any enemies. I love people. I don't, I don't consider any of them, no matter how they treat me. And so he calls us. He says, come here, you guys. I want to talk to you. He had this beautiful mansion. He had an addition to his, uh, his house that was like as big as this auditorium. Beautiful place. And he starts, he goes, come here. I want to talk to you particularly. Okay, what is it, sir? Let us have it. And he starts to cry, tears coming down his face. He couldn't talk. And I'm freaking out. I'm going, what's wrong with this guy? And he looks at me. He goes, you don't know this, but last weekend I was hiding in the back when, when you were giving your message. And I, he said, I repented. He said, I gave my heart to Jesus. He said, yeah. He said, I, I asked Christ to forgive me. He said, I, I asked him into my heart. And he said, and last night I went to bed and God woke me up in the middle of the night and he told me, he said that I'm supposed to give this addition to my house as a new Pentecostal church in our city. <laughs> and of course, when he said that, we all just fell on our knees and had our hands in the ears. We were crying like babies, all of us. And when I came out of that side door, you know, I wasn't the same as I came in that morning, you know. I came out of that side door and I'm, woo! Yeah! Man, I was shouting. And I started singing a song that wasn't a Christian song. Some of you may remember this song. You hear it a lot in sporting events. It went something like this. We are the champions, my friends. We'll keep on fighting. And they go, stop singing that song, Brother Bob. That's not a Christian song, you know. <laughs> and I came out on the street, and I looked at all the, the pastors. I said, come here, everybody. i got to make a declaration. And they said, what is it? I said, you know, I never doubted for a second that we were going to have church in this city. I never doubted for a second. And one of them said, oh, yes, Brother Bob, you are the man of faith. And so I say that to you. Why? Because it, the most important thing is to obey the Lord, to do what he tells you to do. And he's usually not going to ask you to do the impossible. He's going to ask you to do something very simple. What are you going to do in your church? How are you going to reach your neighbors? What are you going to do in your workplace? What kind of a witness are you going to be? What are you going to do in your school? Because this is what God has called us to do. And I know that I went too long, and we need to break down here at the church. But I want to encourage you, just serve the Lord with a pure heart. We talked about Pastor CJ today, see? He's got a pure heart. He's been through it like I have. Anybody who's been in this long enough has been beaten up and kicked around a little bit. 
you know, you've been part of the kicked, kicked around from one side of the room society to the other. And you know what? That's good for you. How many of you want to have that happen to you? You want to get the rocks thrown at you. You want to have people call you names like we did in that, in that city. Because that kind of stuff tests you because the Lord has been dealing with me just when I came home. Deuteronomy 8, if you want to read that chapter, that's about America. And it says in chapter 8, he says, The Lord led you these 40 years in the desert to humble you and to test you and to see what was in your heart, to see if you'd really serve the Lord your God or not. So how many of you will really serve the Lord your God when he humbles you and tests you? You're not going to go run away and say, hey, man, I, they told me I'd get rich if I became a Christian. That's why I accepted Christ. <laughs> no, if that's the reason why, then that's it's not going to work. Don't even, don't even try because it's going to fail. But if you realize that you're, you need Jesus Christ in your life, you need him to change you, you need him to speak to you, you need him to empower you, then you love him and you're not going to turn back. When this stuff happens, man, we're just going to have more determination to go on. You know, the more they try this stuff and the stuff on the church, we're not going to cry about it. We're not going to get angry, turn on your favorite news network and say, oh, I hate watching that stuff every day about Portland. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. We're going to be Christians, and we're going to do what the Lord wants us to do. Amen. So, Lord, bless my dear brothers and sisters here at Adventure Church. May we all be true followers of Jesus Christ. May we not just be admirers of what Jesus did and admire the nail prints in his hands and all the good things he did, but you're the Lord and Savior, and we need you. We need you more than anything else. So, Lord, please come into our lives. Empower us by the Holy Spirit. Lead us. Give us the gift of discernment. Give us wisdom. Give us your special courage, boldness to share Jesus Christ in this lost and dying country in which we live. And Lord, turn this country around so that we will see something great here. We will see something great in America, Lord. Before we leave this place, we want to see your power and your glory displayed. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in us and through us and through this church. In the kingdom of God, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Adventure Church. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider supporting us. You can make an easy and safe donation on our website, www.adventurechurchsiren.com give. Thank you for your generous donation.